Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. But Colby, I'm not normally joining you like this. Um, Oklahoma State gets run out of their own stadium by South Alabama, 33-7. to There's a lot to get to, but uh, how are you feeling in the morning after? You know, got up this morning. My wife and I, we, we went and rode some bikes, rode around Lake Hefner. Got those exercise endorphins going. Been watching Red Zone for the last three hours with another couple of games up. Got Justin Thomas and Max Holman in contention later, chasing down Saw Hit the Gala. And even with all of that going on, still don't feel great. What should be a good Sunday still just kind of has a little bit of a dark cloud over it from what we witnessed last night. Yeah, dark cloud's a good way to put it. I mean, we're going to get into everything that happened against South Alabama and where the state of Oklahoma State football as we know it. Uh, but first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, maybe on, on some things, so my mic cut out, but I think I got it back working here. But we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast, as always. So, Colby, they go down 33-7. to Everyone knows that by now. I'm not really sure where to begin, other than I think you have to start with how the game unfolded in the very beginning um much to the surprise of me and i'm sure you alan bowman gets the start i kind of assumed they would they did keep the three quarterback rotation albeit with a a, a pretty big tweak which we'll get to but i was surprised bowman was the first guy out you thought it would be gunner then rangel then bowman but it was kind of the inverse of that and bowman looked good early i mean again he he had another pretty much a walk-in touchdown by Jaden bray dropped and then he he throws an interception, which looked like a, a miscommunication amongst him and the receiver. I'm not sure whose fault it was. Even Casey Dunn didn't really have an answer for that. He didn't have much of an answer for anything right now, which we'll get to his post-game comments. But I was surprised Bowman got the start. And then I was somewhat surprised in how everything unfolded after that. But what, what was your takeaway when they, they start the game with Alan Bowman? Uh, yeah, my takeaway is that this is all random and they don't have any idea what they're doing at the most important position in all of sports, which is the quarterback position. Um, I mean, the first two weeks you come out, you you rotate the order you're throwing them out there in, and it seems like you're trying to get a look at how different guys start games and, you know, get you to the fourth quarter. Yeah, kind of that middle reliever and then who can close in the fourth quarter. And then they come out in this game and it's Bowman, Gundy, and then a little bit of Rangel when the game's already out after after Gundy probably got too many possessions um, there in the middle. I guess Rangel was uh, under the weather during the middle of the week and missed a practice. But my initial thought, and I don't know if I texted you or texted my family, I, I sent out a couple. I, I'm like, oh, wow, it's Bowman. This is random. They have no idea what they're doing. And that played itself out last night. I mean, we've got an offense that's not comfortable with anything. Um and it, it just doesn't look like there are any easy fixes on the horizon. That's the problem. It didn't look like a bad night. It looked kind of like what you are offensively, and that is very, very problematic moving forward for this team. Um, Carson, we, we believed a lot of what was said in the offseason. As a matter of fact, I think I believed all of it except the only thing that was true. The only thing that was true 
was that they didn't know who their quarterback was and they were going to play all of them. That part I didn't believe. I thought Gundy was messing with us. I thought he was trying to, you know, play gamesmanship and transfer portal stuff. That part I didn't believe. All the stuff about offensive creativity, run game, all these things, getting the ball into the playmaker's hands, making sure Brennan's getting touches, all these getting touches, these different guys. All the things that I didn't believe came true. Everything I did believe was a, a complete and total just bald-faced lie. Maybe they were just selling us something that they thought would work, and it hasn't. Um, but the offense is just – it's random nonsense. They have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Well, and, you know, hand up, Mia culpa for me. I, I looked at this Charmin soft schedule, and I gave Mike Gundy and the, all the talking points he referenced with the offense, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And I think Mike Gundy's benefit of the doubt is over. He, he has no more benefit of the doubt with where his offense is going. And we'll get into wholesale ideas and changes that I think will have to come if this continues. And there's no reason to believe it won't. But I do want to stick to the game for now. And so they yank Bowman after the interception, his four series. And once again, Colby, it's it's so hard. You know, I get so many tweets and texts from people that say Bowman's the third best quarterback. And I, I just don't think that's right. I think your best chance to put a point – that offense looked good in the first quarter with him. Uh, obviously, the drop touchdown is going to affect things and then the inter- – Yeah, I think it looked good on the first drive. I just – I wanted to refute that. I think it looked good on the first drive. After the Bray drop, he there were like seven incompletions in a row or something. So, I think that – I think the first drive looked great right up until the Bray drop. Oh, and, and that's my point exactly. They had okay. one rushing attempt with Bowman at quarterback. They are so predictable when, when they put him in because for whatever reason, Ollie Gordon gets one carry in the first half, three total for the game. And that's my issue with judging Bowman. It's not the same offense when he's in there. Now, maybe that's all they think he can do. I don't know why they don't think he can hand the football off to Ollie Gordon. But to me, it's been completely unfair to Alan Bowman. And I'll get to how unfair last night was for Rangel as well. But for Bowman, he's not running the same offense that Gunnar Gundy is. When Gunner's back there, they hand the football off. You get Elijah Collins going. They they somehow get the ball to Ollie three times. For me, it's impossible to to say that Alan Bowman's not the best quarterback based on what he's been asked to do. He had the drops against Arizona State. It was a bad interception against South Alabama, but again, it looked like the receiver didn't know what route he was running, which we which was also a theme throughout this game. And who's the wide receivers coach? It also happens to be the offensive coordinator. But for me. The you said it looked good the first drive, and again that you can say that's the script, and that's why of course they're going to look good on the first drive. But I said they look good with Bowman in there based on what I saw after that. And so here comes Gunner Gundy. All the Gundy truthers had their knives and forks out, ready to eat dinner. They were so happy to see Gunner Gundy out there. And what we saw is kind of what I expected when they started playing teams with a pulse, a guy who makes one read and takes off running, which was probably their best plays of the night. I'll, I'll grant him he can move a little bit. But you saw exactly what Gunner Gundy is. It's one read and then hope like heck I can throw it through two, three defenders. Because the he, he it looked like Alex Kate out there. And I'm sorry, that's the vibes I was getting with all the dropped. I mean, every time he'd seemingly drop back, he, he threw a he threw a quick out high on his first pass. And he continually threw into coverage that was nearly intercepted seemingly every time he dropped back. So for the Gundy truthers out there that have been just saying, oh, this offense is so much great. Look at look at all the touchdowns they've scored. It's been because they've actually established some balance when he's been in there. Why they refuse to do that with Alan Bowman, I have no idea, but I'm not going to sit here and say that Alan Bowman's 
not the answer at quarterback. I'm not. I think he is. I think it's either him or Rangel. But based on what I saw from Gunner, it's not him. And, and take it this way, Colby. Do you agree or disagree with this? If his name was Gundy, would he be on the field? Because these are the questions that are going to get asked when you put your son out on the field. And he certainly didn't look like he belonged against South Alabama. Yeah, I, I can't say whether he'd be on the field. I do think if his name was Gunner Thomas, I, I don't think that the fans would have been chanting his name whenever he came into the game last night. And yeah, I, I thought that he played poorly last night. One of his completions was a double bank shot off two defenders whenever he had... <laughs> I mean, he had Talon Shetron coming wide open underneath on a crosser. He forces it into triple coverage, goes off a defender's hands, off another defender's chest, and into Jaden Bray's chest, and that's how they pick up a third down. There was another crosser across the middle where, where Shetron's running into space to the sideline, just like going to be in a ton of space over there. And Gunner throws it right between two defenders. It just falls to the ground. Uh, lucky that that one wasn't intercepted. There was a, a, a route up the seam going up the numbers on the right side where he just – I mean, he just underthrew a receiver by about 10 yards. Um, I don't think his arm is is strong enough right now. I really don't. I, I don't think that the downfield stuff is there. I think his anticipation and how early he throws the ball has to be just absolutely spot on. Your, your timing can't be off by a single second because I don't think that the arm strength is there. No, he can take off and run, but it, it's, it's not like he's an electric enough runner that you can make that a significant part of your offense. So right now, I would lean Bowman and and – I don't even know if that's fair to Rangel because we saw him for what a, a series or two last night, whenever the game was already over, everybody was flat and had just about quit playing. Um, the, the fact that we've gotten to this point where they, they just refuse to commit to one of these guys. It, and if you're trying to evaluate the quarterbacks, it's like, you're saying, why are they not all running the same offense? Why are we not trying to make apples to apples comparisons here? I mean, Alan Bowman is running pure air raid, drop back and throw it every time, and the defense knows exactly what you're doing. And that's not the offense that they're running with Gunner. And the offense that they're running with Rangel, I, those possessions were meaningless uh, late in the game. I don't know that you can really even deduce much from that. So you're trying to figure out who QB1 is, and you're not even running an apples-to-apples apples offense. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. It feels like they're guessing and just kind of hoping, well, I don't know, maybe this will work. And, man, that is just a bad, bad strategy for the Oklahoma State offense. Caden McFarland had a tweet that he sent out earlier for a decade, Carson, a decade. Oklahoma State averaged roughly 40 points per game from 08 through 2017. Over the last nine games dating back to last season, Oklahoma State is scoring 16 points per game. And that is what is so jarring about what has happened to this offense is after the Texas game last year, I mean, this was an offense coming off the 2021 season, the Oklahoma game, the Fiesta Bowl. And then the first half of last season was pretty solid. And since then, complete and utter implosion. Nothing has imploded like this since that submarine, Carson. This is wild to watch and the problem and what I'm really struggling with is I don't see any obvious fixes in the near future it's just broken and I don't know that there's enough duct tape in Stillwater right now to put it back together well there's not and they especially need to figure out who the heck the quarterback's going to be and just play one um, we've seen all three and, and I'm not I'm not done with the gunner thing yet I mean so for the first time all year Gunner plays his four series and he gets the last series after uh, he gets the last series of halftime before halftime, which Gundy says he didn't count because it was late in the first half. But Colby, they they ran nine plays and burned four minutes a clock. Does that does that not seem like a fair 
series to you, they had to punt. They had a fourth and 27. And so here he goes to start second half. He puts Gunner back in for a fifth series. Now, I don't buy the notion that that series doesn't count. You played, you had a full series to go make something happen. You didn't, you punted. And the only difference I see here is the name on the back. Why does Gunner get a fifth series when, even when guys are leading touchdown drives, you've been putting in the other guys. So for me, I have a big issue with that. And again, this, this is, you bring in the word nepotism when you put your kid on the team and you play them as equals amongst the other two quarterbacks. But then when, when the treatment is different for your son versus the other two, that only leads me to one conclusion, Colby, because it's not like Gunner was leading them up and down the field. He wasn't. And even in the drive that he ends up leading them to a touchdown too, took 17 plays, took half a quarter. It was dink and dunk throw it sideways because that's all they trust him to do. And that, if that's your answer, that's not an answer. But for me, Colby, I have a major issue with him getting an extra series. If you want to sit there and blame it on Rangel's sick, they put him in the game. If you have confidence enough to put him in the game when the game's on the line, I don't want to hear about, oh, he will sick, so we're going to give Gunner a fifth series. I definitely don't want to hear what was the end of the half when you played for, what, nine plays, four minutes, and punted. Uh, uh, to me, that is asinine. And I, I don't I don't buy that for one second. Yeah, and you called this as soon as Gunner decided that he was coming to Oklahoma State. You called it. You said this is going to be problematic because the chances of this working are small. And whenever he gets playing time and it doesn't work, I mean, people are going to talk about nepotism. It's going to be there. He's getting to run the offense with the run game. They're They're actively trying to balance the offense while he's out there. He gets the extra drive. I mean, he took over last night, I believe, with 10 minutes left in the second quarter and stayed out there. Uh, pardon me, Rangel came out with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. So that's a half of football that Gunnar Gundy got last night. And it was because of the extra possession. And, you know, at 23 to seven, you're hoping you go down and score twice. And that's when I thought Rangel was coming in, and he didn't. Gundy got the extra possession and was able to go out. If I've got the score, I don't think I do. I think I've got the score right there, but if I've got that wrong, somebody can let me know on Twitter. Um, yeah, it, it's very problematic. You knew it from the jump. I didn't ever think it would be problematic because to tell you the truth, I watched Gunnar Gundy play in high school and I thought he was a good player. I didn't ever think he'd see the field at Oklahoma State. I thought if he did, it would be garbage time stuff. I certainly didn't think it would be trying to win football games in the non-conference against non-Power 5 teams. And this whole thing has just turned into a complete and utter disaster. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the responsibility falls at the feet of the head coach. We, we can criticize Casey Dunn, Charlie Dickey. Those guys deserve it. Tim Rattay deserves some too. He's the quarterback's coach. And he, you know, nobody wants to talk about Tim Rattay. We don't mention his name. The quarterbacks um, have not been good. They've, they've been bad. They've been terrible. The entire offense uh, has just been atrocious. Mike Gundy is responsible for the staff. Mike Gundy is responsible for NF for NIL. He's responsible for recruiting. This falls at the feet of the head coach. And you said the benefit of the doubt is gone. I, I, I got on Twitter last night and I scrolled for a while. I just to kind of check the pulse of the fan base. I know Twitter's not everybody. There's 60,000 people in that stadium and they're not all on Twitter, but people are fed up at this point. The benefit of the doubt for Mike Gundy is gone. People hate the contract. It wasn't just Twitter, too. I, I was getting texts from people last night, left and right. What does this mean? How does this happen? Is there any way to fix it? 
And I didn't have any good answers for anybody because the contract is a train wreck. It, it's got to be altered. It's got to be changed. And no, I, I don't see any immediate way to fix this. Um, once we're once we're done with last night's game and we want to get into a macro conversation about the program, we can get into some more of these things. But there are serious concerns uh, in the immediate future for Oklahoma State football. Yeah, and we'll get into those. And, and first, Rangel comes in. I, I honestly felt bad for Garrett Rangel coming in with nine minutes left when, as Casey Dunn put it, you know they're playing cover two, which <laughs> I encourage everyone to go watch. Marshall Scott put up the post game sound from from Casey Dunn. It. it Pretty much made it sound like if they run cover two, we, we have no answers is basically what I heard. Uh, just, well, we, we couldn't do anything at that point. They ran cover two, and that was it. We couldn't do anything. So, Rangel gets in there, doesn't look good, and really had no real chance to succeed based on the stage he was coming in at that game. And um, so, yeah, uh, I think before we get to defense, let me tidy things up on offense. They, um, let's see here, that are – now, 124th in the country out of 133 teams in yards per play. They're at 3.8. I think they're at 3.1 against South Alabama. And the the most fascinating part as I watched the end of that game, Colby, were, did you have the sound on? Were you listening to the announcers as the fourth quarter played out at all? Uh, yes, I was. And, I mean, what do you expect them to say? What do you expect them to say when you're getting your asses kicked at home by South Alabama? No, no, no. I I actually found it. Really good play-by-play and color. I don't know these these two guys that are two guys I've never heard of, but they were constantly criticizing the quarterback rotation. Basically said, "quote There's no rhyme or reason." And the the most salient point made by the analyst at the end of the game, and I tweeted this: when the ESPN Plus D team analyst is basically calling out how simple your offense is and how easy it is to defend. And and he nailed it, Colby. It's what you and I have talked about for the last two, three years now. It's all short, intermediate, slow developing routes. Have you and I not said that a hundred times on this podcast? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's offense in a phone booth. They're, they're playing offense in a phone booth and there's no creativity. There's no motion. There's no movement. Um, it's a disaster. I mean, it's, it's no, nothing. And what the analyst specifically called out was no downfield throws. I still believe, unless unless I'm missing one from the game last night, I still believe they only have six throws of more than 20 yards downfield. And you think about those offenses that average 40 a game that you referenced from Caden McFarlane. What was the bread and butter of that? It was downfield, throwing it up to your athletic wide receivers on the outside. And do I think the receivers have played well this year? Absolutely not. I think they've hung out their quarterbacks to dry for the most part. But they're easy to defend. And the number one thing they do, Colby, is they refuse to give the ball to their two best players. Ollie Gordon, three carries, 12 yards. Brennan Presley, two catches, eight yards. So we can sit here and holler about the quarterbacks, and I still believe I would play. I would give Bowman a game, and if he stinks, I would give Rangel a game. And if he stinks, you can go back to your hidly little three-quarterback rotation, or I would try Flores, the, the freshman who hasn't played it down yet. But for me, Colby, that's the biggest issue with this offense. It's we can go down the stats. They don't lie. But football's pretty simple. You get the football to your best player in open space. And Casey Dunn has failed that test about as hard as you can fail as an offensive coordinator. I mean, it's it's almost like they're actively avoiding giving the ball to their best players. And that includes a quarterback. Because I got so many texts and tweets about Gunnar Gundy. And I don't think I'm going to get him this week, Colby. 
Yeah, no, probably not. I, I think at this point, if it were me, I think maybe you just go air raid with Bowman. You just throw it 50 times a game. You sprinkle in some run whenever you've got them backed up a little bit because you're throwing it so much. Um, a lot of quick passing with an occasional downfield shot. That's probably what I'm doing at this point. It's probably not what they're going to do. Probably going to try to, uh, you know, just mix it up, shorten the game, try to win close games. Um, I can't believe you're talking about the yards per play. I can't believe there's 10 offenses worse than Oklahoma State right now in college. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit jarring in its own. Um, you mentioned Flores. He's got four games this year. If if you try, maybe if you try the Bowman experience, I don't know what they're going to do after this, but if it doesn't work and you're not going to get to six because the bowl, the bowl streak is very much in jeopardy, go look at that schedule and find me four more. Um, I Two more, three more, maybe four feels like a big stretch at this point after what we watched last night. Um, yeah, Flores has four. Throw him out there. Let him run the air raid. Sling it all over the yard see how he looks in game and you still don't have to burn his red shirt. Um, yeah, I think that that's where I'm at right now, but the failure to get the ball into Brennan's hands, the failure to get the ball into all hands. Um, and Brennan had a bad moment last night whenever he muffed the punt. Um, you know, I mean, he hadn't touched the ball since practice and then he goes out there to catch a punt and he fumbles it. It's just, it, it's absolute mediocrity at every level. And I've got news for you. If you all thought that we had a lot of new names to learn this year, Oh, buddy. That portal is going to be wide open after this season because why, if you are any kind of offensive playmaker who who loves the game of football, who wants it to be fun, who enjoys offense, what, what makes you want to stay at Oklahoma State? I mean, you, you gave it another shot. Last night I'm watching halftime, and oh my gosh, halftime was the OSU Max Talon Shetron video from the, the shot in the offseason where he's talking about how electric the offense is going to be, and that video is running at the halftime of last night's game. The irony was ap- it was unbelievable. Um, yeah, th- there's going to be a lot of new faces next year because I'm, I'm telling you right now, this offense is not getting fixed. It, they can pick a quarterback. It won't be as bad as it was last night all season. That that was beyond terrible um, but it's not getting fixed to the point that there's going to be a bunch of guys who are really wanting to come back and make it work in Stillwater. I miss the OSU Max piece, which is interesting because he's the first guy I thought of as this game played out. It was like, and he was committed to Oklahoma at one point, who's putting up 66 against Tulsa. 13 against Tulsa the last time they played him. Uh, that's, I think you're right. I think if Mike Gundy didn't want to re-recruit players after last year, he better he better change his tune, or he's gonna have no players on his team. He's gonna have to get more players from UMass and Utah Tech. I think so, you might. I think you might cut out again, Carson. But yeah, he's he's going to have to start focusing on recruiting. I mean, for once, like we we we've been saying forever, is it gonna catch up to him ever? Is he gonna, is he gonna keep winning games forever with two and three star recruits? And the answer is no. It has caught up to him. Well, they're tied with Arizona State, actually, at 3.8 yards per play. The teams below them, Ball State, Middle Tennessee, Southern Mississippi, Arkansas State, Northern Illinois, Kent State, Florida Atlantic, and Sam Houston State. Those, That's who's below them. So, Sounds about right. That's where they're at offensively. Now, it wasn't all the offense, Colby. You know, we, we sang the praises of Brian Nardo, who just got absolutely torched by – South Alabama, and as much as I still like the three-three-five for the personnel that Oklahoma State has, uh, it was a big, gigantic fail defending the run. Uh, Ladamian Webb, 18 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns, average 8.4 a pop. Uh, they got they got gashed early and often. The offense didn't do them any favors with some quick three and outs, but it was a total and complete dud when you include the defense as well. 
Yeah, it was. And I wish I could get access to the all 22 because just watching it on the broadcast, man, it looks like defenders are taking some bad angles to come out and get these ball carriers. Whereas, you know, Oklahoma State tries to run into space and there's always somebody that's got the edge set. It seems like there's always defenders rallying to the football and Oklahoma State defensively last night. I mean, yeah, we, we sung all the praises after the second half against Arizona State last week. Maybe that was just a really, really bad Arizona State offense. If they're tied with Oklahoma State uh, in the in the numbers, then it probably was just a really bad Arizona State offense. Well, they um, scored zero points against Fresno State last night. They lost 29 nothing. if that tells yeah. you where OSU really is. Yeah, that'll do it. And that was without Jaden Rashada, but still, that that's about where Oklahoma State is right now. Um, an, another thing that's very problematic for Oklahoma State right now, and this is going to take years to fix – um, and this just goes back to the recruiting issue. South Alabama, boy, did they look a lot faster than us last night. I mean, the guy burns us on the deep route. You get it to the back down down in the red zone. What was it like a 15-yard touchdown run for Webb where he gets the edge? I, I mean, that's that's angles. You, you're, nobody seals the edge. You let him get outside on you. And then he's just faster than our guys to get to the edge. There are some serious problems on both sides of the ball right now. Um you know, individually, I think that we can point out to certain guys that we think are really talented. But as far as a, a team-wide basis, offense and defense, Carson, I, I'm not singling anybody out individually, but just team-wide, um, the talent is as deplete right now as it's been at Oklahoma State in a long time. I'm talking about speed. Uh, I'm talking about strength on the lines. I mean, Oklahoma State is getting pushed around, and they're getting outrun to the edge. That is a recipe for absolute disaster. Yeah, and I I think the only time I've ever mentioned Rob Glass, it's been in, in glowing terms. But are we to a point now where you evaluate everything? Because, again, their offensive line stinks. Uh, their defensive line getting pushed around. Where is this multi-million dollar strength coach? And, and wh- wh- how much blame do we shift there? Because they haven't been able to block anybody for a long time. The players have changed. Uh, coaches have changed a ton on the offensive line. Dickey's been there a little bit now. But yeah, you're right. I think they got they got pushed around by you know a Sun Belt team, so that that spells disaster when you get into Big Twelve play. So again, everyone watch the game. They lose thirty three seven. It's time to get big picture here, Colby. So, and we got a lot of Twitter questions kind of centering on you know this program, what's changed, what's going to happen with Gundy. For me, I think, and again, another Mia culpa. I I bought into all the the jargon of the off season. But in hindsight, it's pretty simple to pinpoint. Mike Gundy retained this staff. He brought back Casey Dunn, the offensive coordinator, and he brought back Charlie Dickey, the offensive line coach. The two biggest problems with the program, in my opinion, those two guys. And Mike Gundy, I gave him the benefit of the doubt because it typically works out with Mike. He he does what he wants and he typically wins eight, nine games. But this is this is the problem he created by retaining those two. He thought, I know better than you. I'm going to keep these guys and we're going to figure it out. Well, it's even worse than it was last year. They didn't figure anything out. In fact, they're getting worse. And so it starts and stops right there before we get to Mike Gundy and Colby. The fact that he brought these two back just reeks of stubbornness. It reeks of, I make the big $7.5 million to make these decisions and I'll make them. And these decisions have extremely backfired on Mike Gundy. I know he doesn't want to fire people, but that's what they pay you $7.5 million to do when your offense can't do anything. 
And let's just re I'll let you go now. I, I have another point to make on that, but just your thoughts on the decision to retain Casey Dunn and Charlie Dickey and what the ramifications we're now seeing. Yeah, I think that what we've seen from Mike Gundy recently, um, college football has changed, right? Mike Gundy hasn't. I don't think that Mike Gundy likes modern college football. This is this is what I was saying um, a year ago, two years ago, and then they really figured it out in 21. Jim Knowles was awesome. But I don't think Mike Gundy likes the way college football has evolved, and he's very much set in his ways. You know, you read a story today, sources are reporting that Mike Gundy had a meeting in August with, with big donors and said he doesn't like NIL and said, quote, I've been here for 40 years and I can do what I want. And that's essentially what you're alluding to, right? Like, there was no reason. We were all sitting here last last season, and you play the bowl game, and then a day goes by, and then two days go by, and then it's a week, and then it's two weeks, and people are tweeting us like, when are we going to hear something about the offensive staff? Because we all assumed that it was a foregone conclusion that changes had to be made after what took place at the end of last season and just the general incompetency of the offense under the current staff. And Nothing happened. Mike Gundy was very insulted at the idea that anything would happen. He blew up whenever he was asked the question. Nothing happens. And then this is the product you put on the field. This is such an such a miscalculation by the head coach of Oklahoma State as to where college football was going, as to where his program stood as college football evolved, as NIL became a bigger thing, as the transfer portal became a bigger thing. And, you know, shame on us for sitting around and thinking that all the guys that we lost last offseason weren't going to matter and that this team was going to come out and win nine games. Shame on me for believing him when he told me all these things in the offseason about the offense and how it was going to be better. We're looking at a head coach who refuses to evolve with college football. And you know what it looks like? It looks like he's running an old college football program, playing in an old system, in an old style it's not modern. Nothing about it is modern. It's a complete disaster. Um, and and Mike Gundy is to blame. The the onus for all this, it falls right at his feet. I just, I, I don't know that I can be critical enough about Mike Gundy today. He deserves, I think today, arguably the strongest criticism of his entire career at Oklahoma State. I agree. I think this is arguably his worst loss. I mean, I, the 2005 season, his first year, that's that's kind of a wash. They put in a new system with less miles as players. Uh, I think this is the worst loss he's had because they didn't. It's not just that they lost to South, uh, South Alabama; it's the fact they got run off the field and dominated in every fast. And it facet. didn't look like a fluke, and it didn't look like a fluke. That's the problem. Yeah, this was not the fail mary against Central Michigan. This was straight up: we're in your house and we're rumming it right down your throat, and there's nothing you can do to stop it, and there's dang sure nothing you can do to score points. And so, you know, I've been called critical, overly critical of Mike Gundy throughout this podcast. And I try to be as fair and as objective as I can. And the reason I've been pretty sharp in my criticism is I've kind of seen this coming like 2017 is the last time they had 10 wins, uh, before the Fiesta bowl season. So from 2017, I've, I've brought this up before they go seven and six, eight and five, eight and three, 12 and two, seven and six. I think Jim Knowles and that defense had just a really an aberration of a season. Malcolm Rodriguez becomes one of the best defensive players in school history. And Jim Knowles deserves 
so much credit because they were winning despite their offense that year. They really were. But this has been coming. The, the lack of recruiting, the lack of recruiting your players out of the portal, which we're seeing Trace Ford had an interception against Tulsa. You think Trace Ford helped this defense? I think he would. I I could and I, so I was really harsh going into that Boise State game, and credit to Mike for for getting Jalen Warren on campus and for Jalen to turn into the player that he did. But man, did that slow this snowball that's been going downhill? Because this team isn't close to a ten win team. And besides that Fiesta Bowl season, Colby, this is kind of what they are. They're seven and five, eight and four type football team. And this year, who knows how bad it's going to be? We'll get into the schedule moving forward, but. This is why I was so critical. It's they they don't look the same. Their offense definitely doesn't. They're not putting guys in the NFL on defense hardly. It's just he you put it best. He the game is seemingly passing him by. He he never recruited at a high level, but now you throw NIL on top of it. He, it's almost like he's thrown his hands up and said, "I'm still going to do things my way." And this is where it leads you. You're you're getting out athleted by South Alabama. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it just seems like he's lost the pulse, right? It seems like he's absolutely lost the pulse, and I don't, I don't know if he knows it. Maybe last night was the wake-up call he needed. I don't know, because you mentioned that 2021 season. It was magical. It really was. It was a magical season. It was also a clear outlier in the last six seasons for Oklahoma State. This is not a, a just-now problem. This has been building for a while, and there was one outlier season that gave us all hope that he is still the same Mike Gundy that you got from 2006 through 2017. That was a really, really good college football program. This college football program, it's a laughing stock. Man, if anybody's in group text like I am with a bunch of people, it's a laughing stock, Carson, and it's gotten there so quickly. Um, yeah, 2021 was the big outlier. They're much closer to what they were last year, what they are this year, the corndog year. I mean, there have been some six-win seasons, and we're like, all right, they'll bounce back next year. That's a down year for Oklahoma State. Well, not anymore, because I got news for you. I don't think they're getting to six this year, and, I mean, if this team runs off a three and nine or a four and eight, I mean, there's going to have to be, you know, a lot of firings, Obviously, you can't fire Mike Gundy because he has the greatest contract in the history of contracts. Good for him on locking that down. Um, but, I mean, I'm not even above midseason firings at this point on the offensive side of the ball. I, I, don't, I don't know what the solution is if you fire midseason, if you have somebody who can just step into that role. I just know it can't be worse than what we saw last night. And what we saw last night was only marginally worse than what we saw the first two weeks of the season. So I, I don't think anything is too drastic right now. Uh, in terms of changes inside the Oklahoma State football program? I don't either. And we've seen coordinators fired midseason before. It's not as if it's impossible. Uh, you, you shift your staff around. But we'll we'll get to that too. But I also want to touch on this. I think how we got here is hubris, arrogance from Mike Gundy. And you can date this all – I'm going to go down trip down memory lane here. I knew people that knew Joe Wickline. That ended poorly between him and Mike. And I think it all stems back to Mike. I mean, you, you you throw that in there. Their offensive line was the best in the Big 12, if not the country, under Joe Wickline. They've never been the same since he left. And he he basically told him he could leave. He's like, he basically showed him the door. And so that's that's one instance of that. And I think the most recent ones, 
are Spencer Sanders involved? Spencer Sanders gets this reportedly big NIL deal to stay in Stillwater. He wants to stay, tells Mike he wants to stay. Ego got in the way of that. You think you think Spencer Sanders would put up more than seven points against South Alabama? I do. And at what point are you doing things for yourself instead of the, the better of your betterment of your program? And that was a that was a huge one. That was more hubris. I think he should have given some of his own salary to keep Jim Knowles. I think Jim Knowles had earned that. I think he had earned they should have matched any price on the table for Jim Knowles. And maybe that's a Chad Weiber, Casey Shrum thing. I, if I'm Mike Gundy, I'm ponying up some of my salary because the guy led you to a Fiesta Bowl. He did. It wasn't your offense, Mike. It wasn't Tim Rattay. It wasn't Casey Dunn. So th these are instances, Colby, small instances, where his stubbornness and arrogance gets in the way of the betterment of the program. Guys entering the transfer portal, doesn't even talk to him, doesn't even attempt to. More hubris more stubbornness, more arrogance. And you earn that when you're winning 10 games five out of six years. Those days are well in the rearview mirror. So he gets this big pay bump when he wins the Fiesta Bowl. It's time to give him a big pay bump down and go hire some real coordinators. And I've been saying this for a while now. The staff is stale on the offensive side. This whole notion of we're going to run the Oklahoma State offense, it is time for the 2009 kick in the you-know-what of Dana Holgerson. And what I mean by that is you don't have to go hire Dana Holgerson. He might be out of a job soon at Houston. You go hire an innovative, fresh offensive mind that can kickstart this. Remember, remember when Dana arrived, Colby? They barely scored a point against Ole Miss in the Cotton Bowl. Their offense was stuck in the mud in the very same manner it is right now. And Gundy has to loosen the reins and hand it over to someone else. Some fresh concepts, some fresh ideas, because they are so stale on offense that you have the ESPN plus D team analyst breaking it down in, in layman's terms, saying this this ain't going anywhere. These guys can't do anything with this offense. And so, Colby, what do you make of these small decisions where Gundy seemingly putting his own ego first over the program? They've come home to roost, in my opinion. What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we have now a series of decisions that Mike Gundy has made where he has let successful people walk out the door on the notion of, well, I'm Mike Gundy. We do things my way here. And as long as I'm here, we will continue to have success forever. You know, we can let successful people walk out the door as long as I'm still here because I've got this thing figured out and my way works. For a long time, his way did work. But again, we've got one outlier season in the last six now. It's not working. Spencer Sanders masked some things. That's pretty obvious now. The defense in 2021 was unbelievable. That was clearly Jim Knowles. I mean, you've got guys walking out the door that don't need to be walking out the door, and it's because Mike Gundy's letting them walk. Um, yeah, he, he just he thinks it's just going to work if he's there, and it's not that simple. When you've got successful people around, whether that be players, whether that be coaches, you keep successful people. You do whatever you can to keep successful people. And Mike Gundy has not done it. Um, and, and it's a series of decisions now leading back to Joe Wickline where he's let successful people walk out the door, uh, both on the field and in the booth. And yeah, th those chickens are coming home to roost because um, right now it looks like, I mean, how many guys on that offensive staff would you consider successful? How many guys on the field right now would you consider successful? And is that lack of talent or is that because of the staff? I don't even know. It's all gotten so convoluted and so poor that it's 
it's hard to analyze players v. coaches, execution v. plan. I, I mean, Mike Gundy comes out after every game now and says, yeah, we got out coached, we got out executed. Well, is that accountability or is it just crap? Or is he just coming out every week and, yep, we got out coached. He said that after Central Arkansas. He comes out last night, yep, we got out coached. Well, maybe if you're making $7 million at Oklahoma State, maybe you shouldn't be getting out coached in the Central Arkansas game. Maybe you shouldn't be getting out coached by a, a fresh 36-year-old out South Alabama who's going on the uh, after the game last night and talking about, you know, students need to go come to Mobile because we've got something special brewing here. Maybe you shouldn't be getting out coached by those schools. Maybe that's a you problem. Maybe you need to look in the mirror. I just I, I really am fed up with Mike Gundy and his way of doing things because it's broken and he won't fix it because he wants to fix it his way. And he's just going to keep doing that and beating his head into the wall. Um yeah, I'm just I, I'm as low on Mike Gundy as I've been in, in a very long time. And and here's a thought that I had last night. Um, when Kevin Durant left, Carson, there were some people who wanted Sam Presti's job because I think Sam Presti failed in that spot. I don't think he did enough to keep Kevin Durant. And the the Thunder were going to need rebuilt at that point, right? But I didn't want Sam Presti to lose his job because I had faith and I had hope that Sam Presti was the right guy for the rebuild. Now Oklahoma State's in a situation. Football program, it's broken. It needs rebuilt. I don't have that same faith in Mike Gundy. I don't think that he is the guy to rebuild it. And I also don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon because of that contract. So is Oklahoma State football just stuck, Carson? Are we just stuck? No. Mike Gundy needs his hand forced. Um, but first, let, let me let me, let me me back up the truck here. Sam Presti went to Kevin Durant and said, here's Al Horford and here's Victor Oladipo as your sixth man. Um. That team was going to be absolutely loaded. Deion Waiters also is the seventh man. He went and re did made wholesale changes to appease Kevin. So let's not get it twisted. Fair enough. I, I just don't think he made uh, an emotionally fragile person feel needed enough and special enough, I guess, is what I was saying in that instance. Yeah. I, I, was more, I was more just comparing the fact that there were people calling for Presti's job. And I was like, no, no, no. He's the guy to rebuild it. Now there's people calling for Gundy's job whenever it's broken. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I don't think he's the guy to rebuild it. Well, he's going to get a chance. I don't think there's any way they can fire him. So we'll, we'll get into the changes that I think need to be made too. But I'm glad you mentioned the post-game press conference. I mean, I, I Colby, I literally could have written down five things that he was going to say that he said. Got outplayed, got outcoached. I mean, that you knew that was coming. And Casey Dunn in his post-game talking about they still have a chance to win the Big 12 championship. Like, could you be more tone deaf right now? embarrassing uh starts talking about cover two well we got behind they ran cover two i mean what are you gonna do i mean we could we it's too late it's not enough time on the clock how, how about you run the football in the first half casey how about you get the ball to brennan presley how about you <laughs> i mean i what i and i and i know those are tough situations after the game but what i want to hear is mike gundy to get up there on the podium and be like this is unacceptable we got embarrassed it's on me when have we ever heard that Where's Casey Dunn saying, we basically got shut out against South Alabama. I clearly need to go back to the drawing board because what I'm doing is not working. That's what people want to hear, and that's the truth. Don't start talking about you still have a chance to win the Big 12 championship when you're three-point underdogs at Iowa State who can't coach their way out of a paper bag. So <laughs> it looks bad, and I think their post-game comments look even worse. And I think it, I think Mike doesn't feel the need to – Mike clearly doesn't feel the need he has to say anything like that because he's a made man and makes $7.5 million. But I think that's going to change if, if things continue this year. 
Uh, so anyway, let, before we get to Twitter questions and you know wholesale changes that need to happen, uh, let's get to the Christian University Spirit uniform review. I like the black, orange, orange. Colby, they look good. Didn't play good, but I like the look. Yeah, they looked good. I don't know if they can ever wear them again. I, I just, I don't know, but they looked really good. Um, they sure looked slower than those guys wearing the white jerseys on the other side, but they looked pretty doing it. So we're going to have to... We're gonna have to burn a lot of combinations this year if it's based on play. That's that's daunting for the for the equipment staff. Yeah, wolf. I, I take that back. Yeah, we can't just burn every combination that uh, that Oklahoma State gets beat in because it's only September. It's mid September. Uh, do we dare even do bullets and BBs, or you just want to get to Twitter questions? Um, we can do bullets and BBs. I'm I'm here for bullets and BBs if you are. All right. You got Before, one? Yeah. Um, bullets, I, I don't really couldn't find anything for Oklahoma state. Um, I'm gonna give the bullet to South Alabama and their coach. I really liked the way he spoke after the game. He spoke with someone, he spoke like someone with serious pride in his program, um, love for his players. He, he talked about LaDamian Webb and, and the way he's battled back and gotten his body right after injury. And I just, I like the things that he had to say. And I mean, at South Alabama for him to do what he's doing right now with that program, I mean, that's Mobile, man. That's South Alabama. And they're good. They're a good football team. They're a good program. They're probably going to win the Sun Belt. Um, bullet bullet to that head coach and to those players because they came in last night with confidence and they came in as if they were the better team and they played like it. Yep, that's a good one. I'll go with Colin Oliver. Ten tackles, five solo, sack, tackle for loss. I had that strip sack at one point. On a night where no, no one really looked that great, I think Colin Oliver looked pretty good. Now, was he at fault for some of the runs? I don't. I haven't watched the, the all twenty-two or all the, the. I haven't rewatched the game yet to single him out, but he stood out to me. So, I'll, if I have a bullet to go to an OSU player, it'd probably have to be him. Okay, fair enough. I like that. Um, I've got a BB. I'm going to give the BB to myself, Carson, because I have not been kind enough. I have not been kind enough, Carson. I have made fun of entirely too many college football programs when they were down, when they were struggling, <laughs> when they were terrible. And now those chickens are coming home to roost as well. I've got some apologies to go around. Iowa, I'm sorry. To you and your fans, I am sorry. I get it now. It's hard when your offense can't move the ball. It's hard whenever you're relying on defensive touchdowns and hoping that you can win games without scoring 20 points. It is very difficult. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan State, I, I am sorry. I owe you all a deep, deep apology because Oklahoma State is now, th this is some serious darkness here that this fan base is experiencing. And I know that other places, Oklahoma State is being made fun of. We are absolutely a laughing stock right now of college football in the Power Five. Um, so I just had to dole out some apologies because I was probably too harsh. And I just want to say, I get it, and I'm going to refrain in the future uh, from making quite as much fun because my program clearly is not immune to mediocrity. I believe Iowa has scored 24 more points in Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State's over-under total against Iowa State's like 35. Oh, my God. Oklahoma State is now Iowa, but maybe a homeless man's Iowa at this point. Yeah. Worse. It's a the Oklahoma State's a worse Iowa. It's yep. unbelievable. Yep. So my BB goes to the Big Twelve. Oklahoma State shellacked by South Alabama. Texas had to play late into the fourth quarter against Wyoming. Kansas State loses to Missouri, who tried to just screw up the game as best they could. They still kicked a sixty-one yarder after a delay a game, took away a fifty-five yarder. 
Uh, Iowa State loses to Ohio. Matt Campbell gets into it with a fan, has to be physically restrained. I think Mike Gunny's going to hear similar cat calls to you're on the hot seat that set him off. Miami of Ohio beat Cincinnati in overtime. Who else? BYU did beat Arkansas. Good job, BYU. West Virginia beat Pitt. Good job. TCU destroyed Houston, and Kansas narrowly escapes Nevada. The Big 12 stinks at this point, but I would put it on par with the Big 10 still when you factor in the Big 10 West. So I'm not I'm not letting go of that just yet. Uh, yeah, that's fair. The Big 12, Big 12 has struggled, and uh, Oklahoma State's a big part of that. I mean, this is a program that for 15 years people have looked at like, yeah, they're consistent. They're not top tier, but they're consistent. They're a good program, and they represent the Big 12 well. Um, that's not a thing anymore. I just, I went to my site and checked the line. I'm showing Iowa state as a two point favorite. And that side is juiced, uh, over under 37 is what I'm looking at. Apparently it opened at 35 and a half. I'm looking at 37. That is just woof beyond. I mean, that's a 20 to 17 projection from Vegas, which is, that's pretty rough. That's pretty, pretty, pretty rough for a team that lost Ohio last week. And another one that lost to South Alabama. All right, you ready for Twitter questions? Absolutely. Let's do it. We've got about 60, so we won't get to them all. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate everyone for sending them in, but there's just we're only going to be able to touch a, a fraction of them. Well, a lot of them center around Mike Gundy and changes. And Dylan uh, at DG Hayes says, if Gundy fails to make any staff changes, is it time to go as well? It's obvious a year ago what the problems were, and now it's worse. And this is where I want to kind of – I'll start it off, Colby. You know, college football coaches, their relationship with the athletic director and the president is paramount. And the age old saying is if the athletic director and the president didn't hire you, they're not as tied to you. Now, Mike Gundy's a, a special case because he's one of the longest tenured in the entire country. He's an alum. I grant you that. But I said last offseason that Casey Dunn, or sorry, Casey Dunn, that uh, Weiberg and Shrum had to have some very hard, very real conversations with Mike Gundy. And that time needs to happen this week. And here's what needs to happen. He agrees to fire his offensive staff and go hire the best ones money can buy. And he's going to take a pay cut to attribute to that. Some of that pay cut's going to go to recruiting as well. Because he has bosses. I don't care how made of a coach you are. Shrum didn't hire you. Weiberg didn't hire you. And this is the lifeblood of the university. And they're not going to sit there and watch you go three and nine and just say, oh, bring Casey Dunn back. That's not happening. So, and, and again, this has happened slowly throughout time, several times, Colby. When right before they hired Dana Holgerson, Mike Gundy was sitting over there on an equipment trunk with his headset on, and the offense was flat out garbage. And they get rejuvenated by Dana Holgerson. They run that offense with Todd Munkin. They bring in Yursich. Gundy's got his thumb on him. They stink offensively. Yursich turns into one of the best offensive coordinators in the country, and he's still lighting it up with Penn State's athletes. So it's it's time for Gundy to let go of the offense and be the CEO that he's really good at in a lot of ways. He's become a very good head coach, but he's failing his program with his staff and his loyalty to staff who have underperformed since they arrived in their current roles. I get the notion of promoting Casey Dunn, but it that experiment's done with. They they keep they're somehow still dropping in yards per play and total offense, still on his watch. 
So that's first and foremost for me, Colby. Shrum and Weiberg have to sit him down and say, you're making changes. And that's what's that's what has to happen. Or I don't can they fire him, Colby? He's got what, a $21 million buyout? Maybe they can, but I'm giving him some severe ultimatums and I'm reducing his salary if he doesn't. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I said earlier that I, I hopped on Twitter last night to take the pulse of the fan base. You mentioned Trump and Weiberg and how they're not just going to let this thing burn forever. I mean, you can't. It's the moneymaker. It, it pays for everything. You don't think they're taking the pulse of the fan base? You don't think that they understand where the frustration level is right now at not just the performance, but what seems to be apathy? Uh, maybe it's stubbornness. I, I don't know. I, I think we're seeing this maybe to a lesser extent at Clemson. That program uh, certainly hasn't fallen as far as Oklahoma State's, but people are kind of frustrated with Dabo out there because it seems like he just doesn't want to evolve and coach modern college football. As much as Mike Gundy wants it to be, it's not 2013, and that is not coming back. It's never coming back. It's only going to get the, – the game is going to get less amateur and more professional. As we move forward, there might come a day where we've got guys on contracts in college football playing for actual money coming from the athletic department. I don't know where this thing goes, but I know we're never going back. So Mike Gundy has to figure out, like, do you want to be a winner in this era? Because if you do, NIL matters. Recruiting matters. And guess what? That means recruiting guys that you want to bring into your program. It also means you better recruit the guys that are already there. You better recruit John Paul Richardson. That's a guy that should have been back in Stillwater, and he walks out the door. He saw the writing on the wall. There are guys leaving this program because they saw where it was headed and because Mike Gundy was not a coach that they wanted to play for right now. Um, yeah, he has to decide, do I want to win in modern college football? Because if he does, he, he's going to have to have a complete shift in philosophy in terms of what matters. Because what he's prioritizing right now, which isn't recruiting and isn't NIL, it isn't working. From Flash, if you got the OSU AD job today, are you firing Gundy after the season is over? If things continue the way they are and finish not three and nine, would you fire him if you were the AD? Uh, if I could pay for it, yes, I would. You'd fire him. Interesting. Yes, I, yes, I would. I'm. I'm. I'm pretty over it at this point. Again, I, I said earlier in the pod, I don't think he's the guy to turn it around. I don't trust him to rebuild it because I don't think that he is willing to do what it takes to succeed in modern college football, which is to be all in on NIL, all in on recruiting. You, you've got to recruit the guys who are there as well as the guys you want to come in. I just, I don't think he's with it. I, I think that the times have passed him by a little bit uh, with just a complete shift that we've seen in college football. Well, and here's the number one thing that needs to happen is you end this perpetual rollover in his contract. The clock starts ticking now, if you can, or after this season. I think that's step one, don't you? You you end this perpetual rollover and it's you've got four years left on your deal, five years, whatever it is now, or whatever it is when you, you kick in that stop to the perpetual rollover. Because the rollover thing has to stop right here now because there's no checks and balances. There's no... There's no incentive. There's no, <laughs> there's, there's complete apathy and complacency and complacency is why they are where they are right now. From Brian Metcalf, we have the DEA update, the done era uh, average game three was 208 total yards from OSU. The game three DEA is 486. That's a difference of 278 yards. Overall DEA was at 414 yards now down to 409 after updating. Bonus, FBS rank went from 104 to 121 in total offense. 
Iowa points on the season, 85. OSU points on the season, 61. So there's your done era average update from our friend Brian Metcalf. There's your DEA. I mean, those numbers sound about right. Um, none of that's shocking. We all watched the game last night. I don't I don't know how many people watched it in its entirety. Um, I don't know if it's because I, I needed to analyze it today or because I wanted to punish myself for believing that this would, would actually be a nine-win season. But I sat there and watched every last second all the way to the end. Uh, I watched after the game. I watched the South Alabama coaches interview. And I understand that uh, the team and the coaches did not go over and sing the alma mater last night. And I don't know, maybe that seems like a small thing. I don't know how much of a small thing that is because in the past, I've been in that stadium a lot. I've missed the first two games this year because I'm having to work a lot more weekends. But it, since since the year 2000, I've probably missed less than 10 home games, including the two this year. You you come over, you sing the alma mater, you you take pride in your program, right? You take pride in Oklahoma State. They don't, they don't do it after losses. Do they not do it after losses? I've, I've tweeted this before after some shocking home losses and people were quick to correct me that after losses, they don't do it. So that's, that's maybe, why. Maybe my memory has failed me. Um, maybe I just fell into the prisoner of the moment and, I, and I'm just upset uh, and looking for something to complain about. But happened a lot during the corn dog years. I think that's when I brought it up and I got uh, corrected many times on Twitter that they don't do it after a loss. I feel like maybe they used to, um, but I don't know. I, I could be misremembering history i've slept since then so i I don't know my my larger point was that um i just don't see a lot of pride right now in oklahoma state football no energy no excitement um and and why would you where would that come from right now at this point fans coaches players um everyone seems flat and and rightfully so from the part-time farmer is ollie the best running back on the team i test yes but other than an occasional hurdle is he good Footwork seems poor. Remember when we thought our O-line was bad and in steps Jalen Warren and all of a sudden they look serviceable. I think that's a valid point in terms of, yeah, they they don't block well, but were they blocking all that great when they had Jalen Warren? I would like to see Ollie Gordon get a significant amount of touches to tell us that he's not RB1. I still continue to really like Elijah Collins, the limited carries he's gotten. He's made some stuff happen. He's gained positive yardage. Um, But I don't think he just abandoned – I don't want to just abandon the running game with Alan Bowman. I want to see Alan Bowman with a running game to speak up, even a slight commitment to running the football to keep defenses honest. He hadn't had that. And so I I do think Ollie Gordon can correct a lot of issues in the offensive line if they just give him a shot, Colby. Yeah, maybe he could. I, I don't think that the Warren comparison is apples to apples because when Warren was out there, the defense had to worry about a quarterback who could easily rush for 100 yards night in and night out. Uh, I mean, that holds defenders. That that gives you an extra half second to that's go fair. out and make somebody miss. So I don't think that's necessarily an apples to apples comparison. I also think it's really hard. I, I mean, how do I know who the best running back is? Like Warren got three carries last night. I mean, these guys are each getting, what, three, four, five carries a game? That's tough to evaluate behind what's clearly a poor offensive line in, in a poor offensive system that's not working. Um, I, I just I look at the athleticism of Ollie Gordon, and I think that guy that guy has to be your your best back. I mean, he, he's he's big, he's fast, he's strong. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's tough to evaluate, but I, I would still lean Ollie Gordon. But I see the frustration right there because nobody's absolutely balling out right now. Nope. And uh, from Bryce season, least of our problems, but surely the bowl streak is in jeopardy for real this time. I mean, do you or Colby see four more wins this year based on what we have witnessed? Let's go through it, Colby. You ready? No, no, I'm not ready. At Iowa State, who is absolute hot garbage, 
and is a three-point favorite over Oklahoma State in Ames. Uh, at Iowa State, I can't pick them to win. Can you? Boy, after what we saw last night, I- I'll say this. I do think that game's pretty much a coin flip because Iowa State is also very bad. Uh, that is one of Oklahoma State's best remaining chances to to win a football game this year is Saturday in Ames. Yeah, I mean they scored seven against South Alabama, so I don't I don't like their chances. Uh, Kansas State at home loss. Uh, definite loss. Kansas at home. Kansas is going to light them up. Kansas has a real offense, and think about think about saying that out loud. Yeah, Kansas can score. Oklahoma State can't. That's a real sentence. Uh, that is factually correct. That that's a loss. At West Virginia, who just beat Pitt. Uh, yeah, that's a loss. Cincinnati at home. I'll give them a win there. Cincinnati clearly not very good. But um, I, I don't know if I can pick them to win any games after what I just witnessed, Colby. I'm trying not to do the recency bias thing, but I mean, we did just watch them get completely shellacked against South Alabama. Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati scored 66 on Eastern Kentucky in week one. Um, they beat Pittsburgh in week two, lost to Miami of Ohio last week in overtime. Uh, I, I'll probably, uh, I'll probably take Cincinnati. Yeah, I will too. Uh, Oklahoma at home. Is that, that game, you still fired up for one last bedlam? Do you know how heartbroken I already am that this team and this staff are the ones that we're relying on to win the final bedlam in Stillwater? Um, I mean, I'm going to go. I'm going to be in the stadium on the chances that a miracle happens, but I think that that could get just, that could get really, really ugly. Oklahoma could have scored 90 against Tulsa. They, they might try to score 90 against OSU since it's the last one, and I wouldn't blame them for a single second. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't. That's either. a loss. At yeah, UCF, they, they might lose by fifty. Yeah, they're losing to UCF. Houston at Houston, that's a that's a pillow fight. They could win. I'll give them a win there. Yeah, I, I think Iowa State and Houston are their best remaining chances for win, uh, with outside chances against Cincinnati and BYU. So if you win all four of what I think are coin flip games, you can get to six. I think they could just as easily lose all four. I'll I'll, I'll put two in the middle. Uh, so I'll give them Iowa State and Houston to get to four. Boy, am I glad we didn't hammer that win total on OSU. Vegas knew what they were doing, didn't they? I thought about it. You thought about it. Even my mom thought about it. We were drinking the Kool-Aid. And, yeah, the Kool-Aid was spiked. Uh, From Matt Hudson, if you were in Chad Weiberg's shoes, how would you handle this? Where do we go from here? Let the season play out or make changes ASAP? I don't know if that's up. I mean – can the AD tell the football coach to fire guys midseason? I, I don't know. I think that that's he's, up to my He's their boss. I he know. absolutely can. I know he can. I just – I don't see him doing that. I, I think that this is a very big test for Chad Weiberg, and we're all watching uh, with binoculars to see how he handles it. But I, I don't think that he's going to tell Mike Gundy to start firing people midseason. Yeah, and I don't – I mean, the damage was done when you chose to retain – Dunn right. and Dickey. You can't you can't fire both of them. I mean, maybe you could take away the play calling duties and Mike could call the plays himself. Uh, I don't know. But the damage was already done. This is the bet he made. He's got a lie in it, as far as I'm concerned. I think after the years when Weiberg can sit down and really make some hard choices, make some really draw a line in the sand and say this is how it's gonna be, because I'm I run this place. You don't. Yeah, uh, I think you're probably right there. The the decision needed to be made after last season. Um I wouldn't be totally upset if they if they did fire people midseason, but I, I don't think that that's a fix. Uh, from Dr. Whiskey B, at what point does the administration look to the future instead of dwelling on Gundy's past accomplishments? It's clear he's not adapting to the current college football landscape between transfers, NIL, 
and his unwillingness to recruit in general, it seems he's past his prime. So I, I think this kind of goes in hand in hand with it, but I think you're right, Colby, when you've mentioned NIL recruiting, and that's reasons why you don't think Gundy can turn this around. I, I think this takes even more than Mike when it comes to Weiberg and Shrum. I think they need to make wholesale, you know, systematic changes for how they're going to run the football program with NIL. Oklahoma just announced a totally new way of doing things with NIL. Obviously not apples to apples, but the current status quo is they're going to be pretty far behind if they keep it the way it is. Yeah, they are. And and maybe maybe that's what needs to come from the administration. Maybe the recruiting budget shouldn't be left up to Mike Gundy anymore. Maybe the recruiting budget should be left up to the administration. Maybe NIL should be left up to the administration. If you're, if your head coach isn't going to do it, somebody's got to, right? I, I mean, we're, we're not the only ones who see the writing on the wall with NIL and the recruiting budget. So uh, that's problematic. Maybe that's where the administration comes into play here. From Lucas Weathers, do you think Gundy takes over play calling? Oh, man. Um, no, no. I think he digs his heels in, honestly. That's my honest opinion. I think he digs his heels in and says, we'll figure it out. Yeah, let's see here. I... I kind of agree. I mean, I don't, I think, I think he's done, frankly, he's running what Mike wants him to run, which is a scary thought. Uh, from Tyler Scott Cobble, uh, who do you hire as OC? If a mid-season changes were to be made, who on staff would you give play calling duties to? Is it time to think about this program without Mike Gundy? I think the OC thing, Colby, and I, you can go, th- I look through the yards per play nationwide. I think you go hire. You know, they're not paying Casey Dunn nothing. He gets paid $900,000. Uh, it was brought up by another Twitter questioner. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I want to give him credit. Um, they brought up Zach Robinson, who's making 500000 nearly half of what Casey Dunn makes. I don't know if Zach Robinson wants to go from the NFL, where he spent his entire career, back to college. You know, some guys don't like recruiting. I don't know if Zach does or doesn't, but that's who would come to mind for me. And if not, just go hire the best guy you can find. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of plucking guys you never heard of and paying them high salaries. It's time to go pay a competitive salary for a guy that's a proven, you know, awesome offensive coordinator. This was Craig B who said, can we get Zach Robinson in as OC and head coach in waiting? I've been saying this for a year and a half has Craig B. So, and I, I know OSU fans, Colby, we always lean on former OSU guys. It's worked out in many sports, including with Mike Gundy. I don't know about Zach Robinson or not, but I think the time has come to hire, you know, Dana Holgerson was considered the best offensive coordinator in the country when they hired him. And he, he was lighting people up at Houston. It's time to go find the next guy. Yeah, it is. I don't think that that guy is Zach Robinson because I think Zach Robinson, he's got a good spot in the NFL. He's under McVay. He's working his way up at some point. I think he's gonna be the Rams OC. I, I think that he, has the potential and the chance. I think he's going to have every opportunity within the next decade to be an NFL head coach. And I don't think that he's turning that down to come try to right this ship in Stillwater. So uh, I don't think Zach Robinson is realistic. I do think that Mike Gundy needs to go find who is the next guy. And if he's here for a year, if he's here for two years and then Ohio state poaches him, you know, like they did with Knowles, then go find the next guy. I would rather rotate through a new offensive coordinator every two years because a big program wanted to come hire him than have a guy that nobody wants as the OC, but he'll stick around. I I just go get the best guy, whether that's a group of five, whether it's D2, somebody who can run a modern offense and go put some points on the board. Um, Because this just, 
This is going to be a problem for the remainder of this season. I don't see any way out of that. But moving forward, it has to be vastly, vastly different uh, from a scheme style and from a Mike Gundy letting go of the reins style. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it um, it's time for him to just be the CEO and hire good, younger, more innovative minds offensively. Again, I, I'll continue to say it. This staff has gotten really stale. I mean, think how long Casey Dunn's been there. Think how long Tim Rattay's now been there. Not a lot of fresh ideas. Um, just not. I know Rattay hadn't been there nearly as long as Dunn, but you know he's he's came in under Dunn, and so I think that goes that goes hand in hand. Um, any more questions that stick out to you? Uh, let's see here. I think we mostly got to a lot of questions about Flores, <laughs> Evan McDaniel. Chances Flores does a Rudolph impression at the end of the year and takes us to a bowl. <laughs> I don't think so, Colby. But hey, he waited way too long to play Mason Rudolph. Maybe it's time to play Flores. Yeah, Flores, I, however the hell you say it. I don't see that coming. I don't see that coming. Um, maybe Flores is the quarterback of the future. Maybe he's not. But that seems like a long shot at this point. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, which school are Rangel and Ollie transferring to from Pistol Pete's stash? Wolf. <laughs> I, I said it earlier. There's going to be a lot of new names to learn next year. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe staff changes convince some guys to stick around depending on who you hire. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of new names to learn next year. And um, I don't know. I think I think we're going to have to watch some talented guys go be successful elsewhere. How about this one from Sam Butchert? Butchert. Out of everything that happened, what was most concerning last night? Uh, most concerning is that that, to me, it did not look like an outlier game. Uh, it did not look like Oklahoma State just wasn't prepared. It looked like Oklahoma State got thoroughly dominated by a better football team, and that better football team is South Alabama. And you sneak by Central Arkansas. Average FCS team. Average FCS team. You sneak by Arizona State, who you were losing to at half team, halftime. Very bad power five team. And then you get absolutely annihilated at home by South Alabama. I think my biggest concern from last night is I don't think there was anything fluky about it. Um, I think that that is, that is what this team is right now. And that does not bode well for the remaining nine games. No, it does not. For me, I mean, other than the obvious of just getting, you know, completely destroyed on your home field and really having no resistance for me, it was a moment when they scored their touchdown, Colby, and Mike Gundy doesn't have the wherewithal to go for two. I mean, it was what, 24 6 at yeah. that point? 23 you, to 6. You were down by 17. 23 you, 6. Yeah. You need, you need to know if you're down by 17 or 16. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, just totally asleep at the wheel, you know, more complacency. I mean, that's, does that seem like a guy who's coaching for his job, or does that seem like a guy that knows he's not getting fired? Also, did I dream this, or was there another delay of game on a first and goal last night? There was. That absolutely happened again. I mean, give me a break. What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? It's just the mo the absolute most basic of the most basic thing. Well, and then you, and then you got Nixon in there on fourth and one, and everyone's like, "Why is Nixon in the game?" And then they run the old Tatum Bell play, the the fake to the fullback, toss out wide. <laughs> one of the few things that worked on the night, but they're having to their best offensive moment came from a play that was running 2002 Colby. I, I will say um, Oklahoma State's lining up for that play. You, you've got gunner under center and then you've got the running back. You know, they're not throwing it. You got one guy out wide. So I told my wife, I said out loud, all right, we've got eight guys to block their 10. How you like our chances? And then they ran that play and I texted my dad and I said, well, that brings the uh, tally of impressive play calls this season to one because that was a great play call. <laughs> 
They absolutely dialed up the right call in the right moment. It was from 2002, but it did work. Uh, so that's one for the season, three games in. We'll keep count and see how many we get to by the end of November. I used to run that play on PlayStation 2 when I was in college at Oklahoma State around that time. That's how that's how uh, ancient that play is and how you know they're just completely lost on offense. But, hey, yeah. it worked. Touchdown. One touchdown on the night. So I think that does it for Twitter questions, Colby. And I guess I think – Wholesale-wise, you lose players to the likes of Notre Dame, TCU, USC, and you replace them with guys from UMass, something called George Fox, uh, Utah Tech. I mean, I, I again, hand up. I drank the Kool-Aid, and that's on me because you retain a – a staff that clearly is not very good at their jobs and that produced no results since being there. And you replace players that are going to power five programs that are good with players that are at lesser programs that aren't. I don't know why I expected anything different, but I, I read that Charmin soft schedule. I gave Mike Gundy the benefit of the doubt because he has a very long track record and that's run out. That benefit of the doubt is gone for me. I think it's, this is the warmest. I would even throw in the Chuba stuff. In terms of just football, this is the warmest his seat's ever been, and it's only going to get warmer as the season goes. Yeah, no, you're right. The Chuba stuff, the the OAN shirt, the just – it wasn't even just the shirt of the Chuba stuff, just everything that followed. The 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 stories about Mike Gundy not having a pulse of the locker room and not not having uh, you know command of his players. I didn't ever really feel like he was going to be fired there. Um, I didn't ever really feel like a a decent chunk of the fan base wanted him gone there. I think there's a decent chunk of the fan base right now that is just really over um, the Mike Gundy era. It, it just very much feels like the best days are in the past, and that's a hard, hard feeling as a fan. Yep, that's very hard, but uh, two coaches whose programs have gone way south will meet on Saturday at uh, 3 o'clock. Iowa State against Oklahoma State uh, will – Dive into that one later this week, Colby. But for now, that'll that'll do it for me. Any parting thoughts before we get out of here? That's it. Um, no, it's. Uh, I, I know that this was this was rough. It, it was a rough night last night. This was a rough pod. We we came on. You're like, you ready to do this? I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> um, these aren't fun, and and we've got more of them in front of us, and we know that. Um, we hope everybody will stick with us through what's going to be a tough season, and hopefully, Oklahoma State football comes out on the other side and looks better. Uh, I bought a shirt yesterday. It says loyal and true across the front in orange. I am loyal and true. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not picking up any other teams. This is my team. This is my program. So uh, I think everybody else, our, our loyal listeners are with us on that. And we're just going to have to ride this out and see what, see what happens on the other side. So uh, in the meantime, just, just turn your TV on on Saturdays, go to Boone Pickens Stadium and, and, and hope that there are better things coming in the future. All right, that'll do it. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, go Pokes.